0: Welcome to the Smart Money Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Arisa. I'm the founder of smartmoneyafrica.org, a financial education platform tailored to the African millennial woman. But I'm probably best known as the author of two best-selling personal finance books, The Smart Money Woman and The Smart Money Tribe. I love having money conversations that encourage African women to think bigger and become the chief financial officers of their own personal economies. This podcast is a weekly show that will focus on powerful conversations, stories, and practical lessons that teach African millennial women how to make money, keep money, and grow money. So this episode is sponsored by our good friends at OctaFX. OctaFX is a global trading platform with 10 years of experience, more than 6 million trading accounts in 100 countries worldwide, Enjoy the lowest spreads in the industry, buy and sell for the price you see with the fastest execution, and take part in regular promos. Join the community of like-minded entrepreneurs by watching the webinars, reading the market analysis, and mastering a free Forex basic course. Download the app, set up your account, and start trading. Find your bonus for more profitable trading in the link.
1: Happy New Year, people. I'm so excited about 2022 and I love January because it's a great time to plan and map out your goals and you know all the activities that you want to do to generate revenue in 2022. Listen, 2021 was cute, but 2022, we take over. Are you with me? Anyway, my first guest this year is someone I'm really excited about, a woman I really, really admire because of how intentional she is about
0: setting her goals because of how intentional she is about designing the life that she loves. Um, If you follow her on Instagram, you know exactly what I'm talking
1: about. Her name is Mrs. Udo Okonjo. She's the CEO of
0: and Country West Africa, a real estate firm that focuses on high-end real estate. Udo Okonjo is a lawyer and a real estate developer with an LLB from University of Msooka, where she won the best graduating female law student in her set. She then earned a scholarship by the British government to further her studies at King's College London, where she obtained her Master's of Law degree. She's a very impressive woman. I don't
1: know someone who thinks so positively, is so positive, and. I
0: love this episode so much because it shows you practical strategies um, to get into real estate it shows you how someone can overcome big
1: obstacles and be such a champion like she has such a champion's mindset and it is amazing she's a true example of someone who has lived it and is very intentional about teaching other people how to live it i really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did um, i can't wait to hear your feedback and yay, send me voice notes, send me messages on Instagram. I want to know what gems you took from this episode. Hello, Antildo. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I'm so honored that you agreed to this interview.
2: Hey, Arose, it's awesome to be here. Always nice to chat with you.
1: <laughs> and I want people to get a sense of your essence and how inspiring you are. And I wanted to share like, what you give us with the world.
2: Mm. So, okay, it's amazing. <laughs> I, love,
1: I love starting my interviews with you know, how I first met my guests, whether I know them or I don't know them. And when I was thinking through this, it really took me down Um, memory lane because I remember that the first time that we met I was shortlisted um, as one of the finalists for an award and I remember that we had to come into like a boardroom and basically like answer questions from a very intimidating judging panel. Like I remember looking at the list and thinking, <laughs> oh my God, like all these people in this room are so accomplished. And so like people that you read about and you're like, so, you know, intimidated by their ac- accomplishments and the achievements. I was like, what exactly am I going to go and say like in this thing? Um, <laughs> but I remember like asking me questions to get me to, talk more about you know myself and you know Mm. and I was I was very I was very touched by that like it really is stuck with me like even Mm. and I remember coming to meet you um at another point and you told me I was going to do great things yes and and all of that and then just it's amazing
2: it's amazing coming you know it is amazing I would say look at you now (laughs) sorry to have cut you You know, but honestly, just take me down that memory lane. Look at you. I still remember that boardroom
3: um,
2: at the bank, um, you know, and I remember you. I mean, I sort of don't remember the details of some of these things you've seen, but now I just remember it and, you know, um, look at you. What? We're talking six, seven years and you've just done phenomenal. I mean, you've not done anything less than what I could have anticipated you've actually done significant. I mean, you're just incredible, you know, look at all that you've accomplished. And somehow I saw that in that room. Um, you know, when you stepped in, I remember some of the things you mentioned you're following your this, and <laughs> just trying to get you to open up. And, and, and it's really interesting. And I wish that more women, um, um, would be in a sense given that sort of opportunity mm. to. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't want to take over your podcast, so please, you know, <laughs> take it from me. But time. the point I'm just making is, <laughs> sorry, it's your time, please take take over. <laughs> no, it's just it's just you know to think about you. It was kind of the way I see it. I describe it. It was like a flower, right? <laughs> that you you know was kind of budding. And you could just tell, like, there was so much fragrance, beauty, power, but somehow it was opening up. And in a sense, you know, it wasn't anything we really needed to do. It was like just a little bit of light to help it open up, right? Yeah. And so in a sense, that thing you're referring to when I said I was trying to get you to open up, open up. <laughs> let's look at it as almost like maybe a little bit of light or, or water. <laughs> And you had it all along, you know, look at you, Netflix, uh, and producer, and you yeah, know, award so best-selling grateful. book author.
1: <laughs> I'm so grateful. And I, I do want to say, I also want to use this as an opportunity. Um, mm. so thank you, because I feel like in my life, you're one of those examples of, you know, women who I admire so much from afar. We don't have a... Um, we don't have a relationship where we talk to each other every day, but I can't talk about mm-hmm. my journey without talking about you because you've been so instrumental at, you know, different points. So even if, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know me personally, like you've every, mm-hmm. I've always seen you as someone that I come to, you know, when I needed help, when I needed encouragement and you might take it for granted, but there are different points mm-hmm. in my life in my um life where i've just had some transformational conversations with you um, Mm -hmm. that have helped Mm -hmm. me you know go to the next step and then even when we were shooting small money woman guys
3: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) and see the (laughs) owner of the space that we used for all the office scenes so you see those beautiful glass um, um the glass windows where you see zuri and shala standing Yep.
2: zuri and Shala.
1: That was <laughs> and uh, find country. Um, and I will always, you know, be grateful because the production value that we got out of that was,
2: <laughs> it was phenomenal. So I'm super, super grateful. You're oh, welcome, <laughs> It's always easy to, you know what, just um, support what I refer to as power women, you know, champions, people who are doing great things. Because here's the thing, you know, I look at myself as a steward, right? Every steward wants to invest in um, places and people that will convert, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the seed or what they receive into bigger things. So you want to sort of, you know, create circles and circles um, of currency. So if and I never saying, you know, I look at you as a power woman who will actually take something, and I use the word power woman gener- generically mm-hmm. to refer to women with, you know, potential high achieving women who do not rest on their laurels or their potential, they're actually working daily to yeah. just really release their greatness, you know, for the benefit of the world. Um, so, so for me as a steward, you know, it's important to me that I'm investing in any way, shape, or form, informally or formally, in people who will be even bigger impact than I am. Amen. So Amen. it's it's not. Um, so in a sense, it's not personal, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I, it is, of course. <laughs> I will take it. I will
1: take it. And I, I, and I, and I'm so happy that you <laughs> mentioned that because for me, I feel because of the women that have invested in me i always mm-hmm. feel so responsible for making sure that it's not a waste i, right. I like i don't want to so I, I never want to like do something and you know people have like mentored me and encouraged mm-hmm. me and then at the end of the day like i'm lazy or i don't you know mm-hmm. reach my goals like it's even doubly painful so it's interesting right. that you said that um I feel mm. like the ROI to my mentors has to, you know, be there as well. Um,
3: Absolutely. Well done. So I
1: wanted to circle back to you and your career. Mm. Please tell us how you went from being a lawyer to being a real estate, real estate mogul to being a real estate <laughs> in West Africa.
2: Hmm. Long story, but we will always have to give the short version. Um, practice law. In fact, when I think of it now, it sounds incredible that I've been a lawyer for, I think maybe 33 years or thereabouts.
3: Wow.
2: Um, and while I was practicing law, uh, corporate and commercial law, uh, I had a, what today's world, I guess the millennials would call a side hustle, right? Mm-hmm. And that side hustle was a gallery, a pot gallery called Zanzibar Pot Gallery. <laughs> it was in Victoria Island. Um, small 20-something square meter space where I had this beautiful pots that I used to import from Ghana. Um, I I saw them when I was, you know, attending meetings with my corporate clients in Accra and I started bringing them in. I love art. I started adding some paintings, you know, to the gallery and that's really what it was. Mm. Um, you know, while I was I was operating that gallery as a side business, in addition to being a corporate and a commercial lawyer, I stumbled on a book right? Mm. That book was called nothing down. Um, and it was by an author, uh, Robert Allen, who's still alive. But at the time, because it was a photocopied book, (laughs) you know, I'm very old. I actually thought maybe the author was dead. but the bottom line is I read that book and something in me shifted, right? Mm. Um, it was a real estate book, how to invest in real estate with literally little or no money. Okay. And so I went ahead to, you know, attempt some of the principles and voila, those principles yielded something. (laughs) Okay. So one of it was, you know, go around your neighborhood, search for properties, understand the values and, you know, uh, find a well-priced one in relation to the neighborhood. Okay. Mm. And then attempt to buy it. Okay. And even if you don't have money, find other people who can buy it and then make money from selling it to them. Okay. I mean, it's it's a bit uh, more than that, but that's the simple version of version. And so I did that, and guess what I (laughs) was saying? My first transaction in that real estate by by following that, I made a hundred thousand dollars. I will never forget it. Now, to make a hundred thousand dollars as a lawyer, (laughs) (laughs) you know, would have taken many nights and months of. You know, even at the time I was billing as a, because I was an international lawyer and also corporate lawyer, my billing hours at the time was maybe a thousand dollars an hour. Um, but even that would have taken me several months and big projects of writing and speaking and doing all that to make that kind of money. Right. So I share that to say that I got into real estate first as an investor, right. And I use the word investor in this for in this context, meaning. I tried my hands at the real estate deal. I loved it. The idea of the, the free, the flexibility, you know, it's kind of like a one-off and then you try it again. Now that said, the next one that I did, I got burnt. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that was me trying to acquire some plots of land somewhere in Aja. And you know, didn't quite work out. Cause it was some ballet type things. I, I talk about that in my book, real women invest in real estate. And I learned some lessons, but that didn't stop me from going, from seeing the opportunity that was in real estate. Right. And so that's how I got my foreign to real estate purely from a side thing. Um, and each time out, sorry, go ahead.
1: Can I ask, do you think Mm -hmm. that your experience doing, um, the second transaction in that Aja area, which is a, for my non-Nigerian um, listeners, Aja is a yes. growth area in um, in Lagos, but Antipolo mm-hmm. primarily sells luxury real estate. So do you think that that transaction failing in that neighborhood informed your decision to focus on um, luxury real estate, like the high-end markets as opposed to... Um, Lower end, I would say, absolutely, <laughs> indeed.
2: Thank you, thank you for asking that question. <laughs> indeed, and you know, I'm glad you pulled me back, you know, mm. to really bring out that point. Um, because that's really the point, okay. That sometimes, so I mentioned the gallery because in doing the gallery, mm. and people come and buy the parts, and I was driving to go and maybe deliver some parts to these clients. Some of them live in VGC in the Ajah area. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got involved in this location, in quote. And when I got that, got burnt like that, I realized very quickly that, you know, these lessons are not just a short term lesson. I understood what the challenge was, but it wasn't a challenge I was willing to be the one to solve. I mm-hmm. didn't want to deal with ballots. I didn't want to have to deal with military personnel to help me get title <laughs> to any sort of property. I then decided, okay, if I'm gonna do real estate, there must be a different level of real estate that I can do. Mm-hmm. And so, you're absolutely right. That informed, you know. But that's really at the investment level, and you know, as a in quote side hustle. What led me from law then into real estate now as a business was when I saw what that potential was. I then thought, okay, I'm a lawyer, okay. New due diligence, negotiations, reviewing strategy, and you know, making decisions is at the heart of law. I can bring that to real estate and use it to serve other people who may want to invest in real estate. Okay. And so that's what I started to do, to help clients um, you know, to identify investment properties, and then I'd advise them, help them acquire it, and then you know, help them arrange the mortgage. But I was doing this mainly overseas. Now, overseas was because at that time, um, somewhere in my career, I had had a medical, um, you know, uh, a scare and challenge, you know, which, I mean, I talk about it publicly, it was breast cancer. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the time, I was 36. And so I went overseas to do my treatment and I thought you, you know, um, this real estate, I can do it anywhere, this knowledge, I can apply it anywhere. And so I carried on, um, delivering that service, helping clients to invest, you know, wherever, whether it was in the UK, it was in South Africa, it was in Dubai. I'd been doing it just before, um, you know, and that just gave me the opportunity to, to help more people because, uh, it was something that I could do literally, um, That's from sweet. anywhere. And so it was from that point, I decided I wanted to do it as, as, um, business. essentially a full on business. And so that's I how I go got into it. And I want to go, Sorry? Back.
1: I want to go back a little bit because I okay, want to um, sure. an insight into your mindset and the way you think mm-hmm. and when you make decisions. So sure. you're telling me that at 36 years old, you had breast cancer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And where most people will be scared and want to give up, you decided that you were going to start a business full time with Fine and Country.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That is one of yeah. the bravest things. Is one of the bravest things I've ever heard. And you know, because we complain a lot about obstacles, but I always ask myself, yeah. who, who would I be in a real crisis? Mm. You be, you know, like it, in a life or death situation. And it's just, yeah, um, it's, it's so admirable that, that you'd go through something like that. And, and I'm sure that there was fear, but you decided to do something so, you know, big and so like amazing. I'm truly inspired. Thank
2: you. Thank you for pulling that out. Cause I think that's actually a very important insight. As a matter of fact, I like to say that some of the biggest things for me have come out in the midst of adversity, mm. and so actually, I personally—and I know it sounds—it may for some people—and I hope not, because you know I have to also remember that you know this is a conversation that you're you're, you're um, sharing with your audience, and so I say that to then say that I'm glad that you are pulling me back and you know, pulling out the insight for the benefit of your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I share this to say that, you know, the real opportunity. So finding country, West Africa, I was literally lying in my bed um, on a Saturday going through the newspapers when I saw the license that was advertised in South Africa, it wasn't advertised for Nigeria, but I knew that if I, I wanted to do real estate, OK, and I wanted to do it at a certain level, so I always wanted to partner with, um, um, you know, I wanted to collaborate, partner, uh, leverage, you know, a a bigger platform and brand. Um, I had sought one out, you know, some time before, um, but sort of just casually, but right there in the midst of this, you know, challenge and all of that, I reached out and I remember that first meeting, you know, I didn't have hair. I I was, you know, I think I had a scarf, not even a week, because in those wow. days, weeks weren't even as whatever. And I just put on big earrings, put on some nice beads so I could look a little bit, you know, fancier yeah. <laughs> and went for that meeting and, you know, asked for the license for Fine and Country West Africa. And they're thinking, well, but we didn't advertise for West Africa. And I thought, okay. well, but, you know, now you have an opportunity, <laughs> you know. So honestly, finding country was birthed in the midst of adversity, right? And when we then launched, you know, a year later, when you know I was I was obviously well, i finished my treatment, we launched into a recession, which was once again another adversity and difficult time. And instead of looking at the recession as a difficult time, I looked at it as an opportunity that, well, guess what? It means that, you know, in a in a country where people sell real estate, by the way I'm referring to now, Nigeria. Um, where anybody can sell real estate, you know, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your cook, your chef, your driver, anybody can point to real estate and sell it to you. Um, I reckoned that at the higher end of the market, they needed, you know, professionalism. They needed someone who was astute. They needed a a professional presentation of their their real estate, top-notch customer service, all of that stuff, which, you know, Mr. Andrew, your chef or... Um, Akintola or a Mecca the driver cannot do or just anybody, mm. right? Um, and so I looked at that as an opportunity that you know one, your street person can do it Two, even if that's what you do, you could help, you could do with some professional support. And so when we launched in um, 2007, it was at Federal Palace Hotel, Um, We used that opportunity to invite, you know, people in that sort of um, uh, high tier, upper, um, uh, um, high net worth uh, category, professionals, corporates, that sort of thing, because that's the niche where we wanted to operate. So once again, as I said, in the recession, tough markets, but we decided to serve people who their problems were bigger and their problems required some measure of specialization. You know, so you are right that it is a mindset um, to determine to see possibilities when you have problems.
3: And you, you know, you
2: know, not I, to allow those problems you know, to overtake you. You know why
1: I love this story because you know, mm-hmm. right now in Nigeria, and I get it, things are really, really difficult, and all of us, you know, mm-hmm. are trying, you know, our best every day. But they're yeah. all jokes about mm-hmm, motivational speaker. This, <laughs> I love to be able to showcase people. Who can show us practical ways in which they actually did something? So mm. can't tell me that there are more things that are bigger than, say, cancer. When mm-hmm. like I, you have to see the opportunity. Like you have to reframe the problem and see an opportunity Absolutely. instead of you know instead of a problem. And you know if you say that it by itself, like the average Nigerian will be like, mm, you motivational speaker," but. This, these, this is real-life stuff, like a recession, mm. um, a health scare. These are real things. Yeah. But I wanted to ask, how did you raise capital for finance Country, West Africa? Did you, could you rely on, say, the $100,000 that you had made from your previous transaction so it was organic, or did you have to raise money from um,
2: h and or a financial institution? Right. Okay. Thank you for asking that question. Before I, I respond to that, can I just pick up on something? I just can't ignore that, you know, the whole, thing, the whole motivational speaker thingy, you know, now I've never called myself a motivational speaker and, um, I don't necessarily see it as a description, um, per se. However, for those who do, and you know, there are people that I believe um, can be referred to as, as motivational speakers or if they choose that title, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I believe that they have value. Mm-hmm. And most people who come their noses up at that, you know, they just happen to be, I would say pessimistic people. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who still won't see opportunities even in the midst of, You know, when everything is positive. never mind when things are dark, right? Motivation is very important, um, you know, for every human being. So, and motivation is really about, like you said, reframing issues in a way, you know, adopting a perspective that shows you the possibilities rather than that shuts down the doors and the avenues for finding new solutions. That's what motivation is. And so those who turn up their noses are people who help people expand their possibilities through whether it's, you know, motivational concepts, principles, success um, principles. I think they're just, you know, to be ignored, if you ask me. Um, But let's move on. I just couldn't ignore that. (laughs) Trust me every time, every
1: time, (laughs) because even if I don't, so I'm not... I'm not, and I think that most people that they they refer to as motivational speakers don't even refer to themselves as as motivational speakers. I think they just, people feel like, oh, when you try to look at the positive, even in a situation, they just call it "Mm, motivational speaker. But I, I, I strongly believe that there's a place for coaches, for speakers, because it's so difficult sometimes, like, to do things in this country. And I... And I think that there's, it's so important for us to leave a space for joy, leave a space for, absolutely, you know, leave a space for motivation because sometimes that is, that talk, that, that encouragement, that change in perspective is what's going to, mm. from point B to point C when you think you want
2: to give up. So I think you are absolutely, hold on, let me say something to you. Many years ago, it's been at least, let me say, hmm, maybe nine, 10 years, I've been writing my newsletter. Yeah. I remember, you know, sitting in my office and sitting with, you know, one of my top 1% clients, right? Yeah. Ultra billionaire. And I'm talking not in in our local Nigerian currency. Okay. Mm. And he said to me, do I haven't seen your newsletter recently? And I said, you know, what do you want my newsletter for? <laughs> you don't need it. You're a billionaire, right? Like, you know, I said, listen, we all need inspiration. Yeah. And he went on to explain to me telling his own personal story, which obviously I wouldn't get into. And then another friend's story. Okay. Where here's the thing all human beings and especially in this last two years of the pandemic, I'm sure you've seen that in the end we're all humans. Okay. We could all do with, like you said, some joy, some positivity, some inspiration. Um, and at the heart of it, inspiration is a leadership currency. If you're not inspired, if you cannot see good, if you can't see hope, leaders are hope dealers. Okay. And so the idea that you can dispense hope, you can help people see the positive angles, And you think it's only people who are down. It's not true Mm. because people who are running multi-million dollar things, sometimes they go through, they crash, right? Their personal lives, their business uh, transactions or something. They're humans in the end. So we all need inspiration. Um, And you are right, you know, whether it's coaches or speakers. um, And there are people who are really motivational speakers. You know, they are. And it's a multi-trillion dollar business in the U.S. and becoming now global. And so, you know, maybe I should use this as an opportunity to actually encourage anybody who's in that space. You're writing, you're speaking, you're teaching, you're coaching. You're doing anything that helps people continue to have hope and giving them a pathway. Like even what you're doing with a podcast, right? Yes, I know you're financial, in the financial empowerment uh, zone with, you know, smart... Um, money tribe, you know, the education platform for, for uh, millennials, yeah. you know, in Africa and globally. Um, but in a sense, if you can't see hope, you can't invest. Yes, true. I mean, if you can't see, you know, possibilities, your approach and strategy will always be you shortchange yourself. You put, you invest from a pessimistic point of view and you will leave things on the table. Sure. So mindset, mastery, you know, which is at the core of you know motivation, which is at the core of coaching. There are two different things, by the way. Coaching is a very specific discipline. Mm. Um, mm. Is is something that is invaluable and it's a massive industry. Um, you know, so I love it. Thanks I for bringing that up. I could, I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about this. Like, like, definitely. Ca- oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Let's talk so about. So you it. asked me the question about how I invested. Yes. Right. So, how I invested in the license. So, the license. Um, I had investors. I mean, we, we were co-investors, like you, see, like you already mentioned. Um, I mean, I was already practicing law. I, you know, when I was practicing law, I was also one of the top paid uh, commercial lawyers. Um, and in addition, also investing in real estate. So, um, I, I didn't necessarily have to go after massive investors per se. So it was more of um, you know an eternal in- investor circle you know so in a sense what you might call angel investors right mm-hmm. um you know but having said that I, I think it- it'll probably be important to recognize that most times when we talk about raising funds especially for service companies if you think about it finding country is a service company so when you think about the investments that need to be made, they're not as significant as say if someone was going to do a factory. Do you see? Mm. Um, so so the capital investment was more for the license. And of course, in those days, it was very much bricks and mortars. Unlike today, where actually you can do, um, you can create a business like this without even having a, a physical office. Um, but our, our, our model at Finding Countries actually, we have branches and we have, you know, you know, in, in different parts of the world, but for, for West Africa, our strategy is actually more focused on serving, um, you know, corporates, uh, multinationals, high net worth uh, clients. And so it's more of an head office strategy. So our major investment came initially from, you know, private um, funds and also from a very select, more of strategic investors rather than, um, because we really needed the money. Um, so question. that's how that was funded.
1: Mm-hmm. I ask a question? And this is totally sure. random and I don't know whether I'm, this is accurate or not, but one time sure. I was in, I feel like I was in either doing my master's or, mm-hmm. but in London, I was in London and I was walking, um, and I think maybe it was like in Hyde Park and I have this vague recollection of seeing in fine and country, West Africa, um, office am I correct mm-hmm. in saying was that a thing
2: you, yeah you weren't dreaming you were not <laughs>
1: because I, remember, I remember thinking wow like okay hold on this is fine and country as in the one I see in Lagos like the one I see in the news like they advertise in like the, you know newspapers <laughs> and all of that and it's in they have an office in London and I was like wow
2: Well, actually that's, let me, let me just explain that because many people actually mix that up. Right. So fine and country international is actually a global real estate, um, network, right. Which means, I mean, we have offices, maybe 250 offices worldwide. Um, concentrate uh, maybe 60% are in the UK. So the head office of International Group is actually in Park Lane in Mayfair, which obviously is like the top square mile for real estate in in the UK. So that's potentially what you've seen. Our okay. it is in other parts of the UK, part of our network, right? Mm. And so um, I was part of the fine and country South Africa as an investor,
3: mm. right,
2: in the Sandton and Cape Town offices. So you know. It, Separate from running the businesses, you can actually invest. And that's what I did initially. And then I'm investor and operator in the finance country, West Africa. Okay. That's and that uh, West Africa covers West African uh, countries as well, which means we do projects whether it's Ghana, Gambia, Nigeria, that's all. So it's the same company. I love um, it. You know, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. But in the
1: midst of these, like, audacious goals, doing... Mm. You know growing a business as phenomenally as you've done um what would you say that your biggest challenges with building a business in real estate um in
2: africa has been standards mm. <laughs> standards 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 ooh you know coming from a legal background um i studied law university of nigeria Law school, master's in, in England, New York bar, all of that stuff, right? Law itself is probably one of the professions with the highest standards, right? Yeah. In terms of, you know, what's expected, professionalism, all of that stuff, right? To come into an industry that really is an all-commerce game in the real sense of the word. It shouldn't be, and it's not in many other countries. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm just looking. Yes. (laughs) Right. But in 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 our country, it's what it is. I remember once going to see a property, someone showed me a property in Dolphin, and it was almost like there was this heap of just trash at the door. (laughs) And it's like, oh, just pass here, pass there, and I will just show you the place. And I'm thinking, like, how? Mm -hmm. How do you show a property? In a filthy state, the garden is this, is that. So standards, okay. That's one. Just just one example. Another example of standards. You know, oh, this is the land. Then you're pointing at it. I'm like, okay, what's the tenor of the of the of the title? What sort of title is it? Um, what's the size of the land? Do you see basic information? Let me give you something an, an example or something to do take up any property magazine or go and research on the internet call 10 real estate firms mm. and i can guarantee you that if you ask them basic questions about the details of what they're offering they don't have it wow. so now imagine that i'm coming from an international profession and international you know uh, uh and, sphere of operating yeah. as a, and and i have to operate in this type of space think about that So my first responsibility as a business leader is then to set the standards, not just in my company, but also in the industry. And honestly, in the 12 years that we've run this business in West Africa, in Nigeria, specifically as the the headquarters for the West African region, that I would say is probably 50% of my role is to define the standards for, for my team for what our clients can expect and what the industry and, you know, I'm grateful. And I can say that with some measure of humility that, you know, we define standards, we set standards and, you know, um, and that's what it is. And I believe that quite frankly, instead of complaining about what Nigeria doesn't have, what Africa doesn't have, I see it as an opportunity. I see it as a call for leaders to rise. Mm. I see it as a call for you to take whatever sector you're in and define the standards and say and honestly guess what that has been also one of our biggest currencies when it then comes to doing the actual transactions in our business because people know that we set the standards people know we're operating at you know high standards and therefore do you think when they want to transact with us that they will be quibbling with us
1: yeah i love it i think it's important like a few things that i've heard from this is First of all, like know where your strengths are and what where you want to play, and absolutely kind of want to play with. And yeah, you're yeah. right because I think that we there's a tendency for us to complain so much about oh this isn't working and that isn't working and you know if we had better systems or if we had better this. But I feel like this is also a call for us to look within ourselves and and say where. How do I make things better? What, what? How do I play my part? You know to make absolutely my better, to make
2: my company. absolutely. And then the people who work with you, who help you build the vision. Because for me, business is actually a platform for expressing your values as a leader.
3: Mm-hmm. It
2: is. It is a platform. So if you want to contribute to national development for example if you want to contribute to economic development if you want to to contribute to um human potential what better way than to use your business start with the people and so at our company finding country we call our team champions Mm. when i teach leadership you know i teach you know championship principles where i i taught that curriculum at, you know, the IWOW Leadership Academy. I've taught it at multiple organizations, local and international. The same curriculum, it's about leadership, right? Today in our in our co- a company meeting, you know, in terms of the five pillars for our focus, what we call this year, game-changing 2022. The first pillar that we're focusing on of the five is leadership, mm-hmm. right? You know, and leadership is about you raising the standards. It's about you showing, being a guide, showing people how to do things by your own examples, as it were. Doesn't mean we get it right all the time, but it is a commitment to pursue excellence. It's a commitment to not accept mediocrity. It's a commitment to not be part of the problem. That's what makes and defines championship and leadership, you know, and that's my personal core value. And therefore I bring it to business. I use it to raise and train my team coach my team i love listening to my some of the leaders in my team you know when they're talking and it's like you know i just feel like they're they're modeling me and i'm like i <laughs> smile and who have it. even worked through and gone on to build their own organizations or some have even gone into government into um, public service i look and i say this running a business is a platform to, as it were, spread my values through people, through the clients that I interact with, through my stakeholders. Every time we show up, we're showing up in our core values. And that's, for me, why I look at business as such a phenomenal um, you know, uh, platform, um, You know, not just for the transaction, but you can both accomplish or get you know, profit, but you can also think in terms of posterity what mark are you leaving in the sand, you know, whether for an industry or for a nation or for even a team, because one person changed their mindset, changed from mediocrity to excellence or from mediocrity to service. To me, that's massive.
1: And see, that's so powerful because it's one thing to be a superstar yourself and a champion yourself is an entirely different thing for you to create new leaders, new champions the ripple effect of that is so powerful i want to shift gears a little bit and talk about your mega goals (laughs) now (laughs) the thing is i i really really hope that people get a sense of your essence because this is not something i'm even joking about like let me give you an example one day i called Auntie udo i can't remember what i was calling you for and i asked you how are you and your response was or you asked me how I was. And my response was something like, Oh, I'm okay. She was like, Hmm, what are you saying? She was like, I said, how are you really tell me how you are? Like speak, you know, life into like your day. And when I asked you, how are you? Your response was, I am phenomenal. I said, wow, the energy, the power, (laughs) like with which, you know, you said it, and we had a conversation after that, you know, that, I often think about like when I'm trying to put myself in, you know, a certain space, a certain mood, like to conquer my goals. Um, and I want you to share like a little bit of that, you know, perspective, like think mega, think big, no small goals, no halfway. (laughs) Oh, I'm okay. You know, be phenomenal. (laughs) So please tell us about, you know, how to set mega goals. Um, where that thinking came from.
2: Right. So essentially you're asking me to be a motivational speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the funny thing about it is, right, it's not, for me, it's not about motivational speaking. It's about, it's literally a matter of life and death. Mm. And let me explain. Imagine if I start doing, taking my chemotherapy, radiotherapy, the surgery, all those things I was going through in 2006. And I was saying to myself, you know, uh, here's me, my life. Oh, who knows whether I'm going to die? As opposed to this chemotherapy is cleaning out my system. It's giving me new life. You see, there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing my doctor. I will mention his name, Dr. Vorobio at the time, Sanctin Medical Clinic. And I would come in and he would say, you know, Marianne, how are you? And I would say, you know, Dr. Verobio, I'm awesome. Mm. I'm phenomenal. And he would sit up and look at me. This is a man who is looking at his notes and he's trying to reconcile his notes with phenomenal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but guess what? I was using my words to define and to create the reality I wanted to experience even before I began to experience it. Mm. And what you do by essentially, you know, so I call it the mega mindset. And it's not just a mindset. There's a mastery to it that you can bring to your business. You can bring to your relationships. You can bring, because everything we are is, starts with how we think, mm. right? And then how we think is then how we speak. And what we speak is what's creating is leading to our decisions and our outcomes now imagine if i said to, to, to my doctor you know my oncology doctor oh i'm okay he will just go ahead and give me an okay do his work and whatever but when i tell him i'm awesome i chipped the atmosphere um and this is not some who who think this stuff is now is backed by science and i don't even need science to back it up i've experienced it and continue to experience it and those who work with me, those who are in my circle of influence, who've engaged with me over the last, you know, decade and several years and all of that, you know, testify to experiencing this life change, this transformation that comes from recognizing that you as a human being, the power you carry is so incredible. Yes. And that power starts with one, your identity, okay? How you view yourself. Most people view themselves as their problems, mm. Okay. And instead of viewing themselves as who they truly are, the phenomenal, powerful, awesome humans with capacity, with courage, with character, with all of these things that are inside of you, we allow the problems, we allow cancer, we allow recession, we allow COVID, we allow death. We allow all these things to now alter our reality. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the first thing is identity. The second thing is then your interpretation. Most people are thinking in terms of, The event itself, the situation, the challenge, the crisis. And so they're interpreting it only with the facts that they see in front of them. Okay, I have 10,000 Naira. It means I'll never be rich. It means I'm broke. The same, but someone that understands who they are, which means that they have ability. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that ability, even if they don't have it, somebody else has it. So their identity gives them power. And that power enables them to interpret things differently from the person who is not, you know, I want to say who is not a champion, who is not a power woman, who is not a smart, you know, woman, right? Instead of interpreting your reality as exactly what it is, okay, these are the facts, but what can be the alternate facts if I were to gain new insight? Hmm. You are. And how do I get that new insight? It requires elevating your game. And what is this game? I like to say, first of all, you have to refuse to settle, refuse to settle for the present facts that are in front of you refuse to settle for your current circumstances. Oh, I'm from a third world country. Oh, i I have these limitations. Oh, I have nothing. You know, people say, Oh, because you arrived, please. I've not always arrived. I've always, I've not always, and even there's no one who ever really arrives until you arrive in your grave. That's the truth. <laughs> Every, everybody who is alive has new levels to conquer. And for every new level to conquer, you need a new mindset. You need to master your mindset. So when I think of mega, I think about mastering life. I think about maximizing life. And for you to start, the starting point of it is really your identity and your interpretation, okay? I mean, of course it's more detailed than that, but you know, we're having a a brief conversation, but it's just to give you an insight that it is a mindset, it is a thinking. And here's one thing that actually helps people with their identity. Because sometimes people have the identity because of maybe something has happened. And so they take that identity from what someone has called them. Someone has called me before. You're just a woman. If I look at myself as just a woman, I will say that identity will not accomplish some of the things that I've accomplished. Mm. just a woman? No, there's no such thing as just a woman. I'm not just a woman. I'm a phenomenal woman. I'm a a powerful woman. I am beyond a woman. I am a human that has incredible capacity, right? Mm -hmm. I am resilient. I'm, you know, powerful beyond measure. I'm not just a woman. So you reframe what the identity that either society or whoever has placed on you, Oh, be silent. Oh, you're being ambitious because you want to get your movie on Netflix. Mm. You are, you know, then you start wanting to dumb down and you find a lot of lifeless human beings not living to the fullness of their capacity because of their identity. Well, guess what helps you change both your identity and your interpretation? It is actually inspiration. Mm. It is what you're exposed to, I That's why in those days, when I started real estate, I used to go to, I literally lived in Dubai because you can't go to Dubai and your mind is not expanded
3: Hmm. if
2: you're in real estate. When I wanted to expand my mind beyond Nigerian real estate, I registered at the National um, University of Singapore and Dubai to do luxury real estate marketing. I went to some of the top, you know, whether it's the UK, South Africa, it's what you expand your mind. This is just one area. This is now real estate. If it's finances and you're going to be hanging around with broke people all day long, you wonder why your financial identity is at a low level or why your interpretation is at a low level. Imagine if you were to expand your, expose yourself to inspiration. When I say inspiration, inspiration is made up of both insight and actionable knowledge. Do you see? So this is the bridge between your identity and your interpretation this is what helps you to move yourself away from mini to mega as a first step right so i can take you through a whole you know I, what the whole mega idea ask, is
1: but... sorry. sorry go I ahead i wanted to ask aside from because this mega mindset um theory is mm-hmm. like such a big thing but aside mm-hmm. from um and i think you guys should basically just register for um her master classes because it is life changing. I'm actually not even joking. Or the WoW Summit, the Iowa Summit. Um I wanted to ask, are there other skills that you feel like you needed to develop to become the kind of entrepreneur that you are?
2: Outside you know, of outside of the mega mindset, <laughs> you see, I, I've I've found in my several years of doing business of, you know, being a business leader, working in my business or you know, leading my business, advising top business uh, leaders themselves. A lot of leaders, a lot of people in businesses that end up, they've done very well, then they crash. If you check it and you track it, you will find that there was a life mastery failure, a leadership failure, something that had to do with personal growth, character, development, mindset, all of those things, Right. So that I want to reinforce is an ongoing, people think that, oh, they'll go and learn this and that's it. It's ongoing. The fundamentals, repetition of it, application of it every day to your life, to your business on a daily basis is non-negotiable. If I were to um, refer to in terms of, you know, the skills for business success, for me, first, you as the business leader, your own leadership mastery and life mastery is critical. Mm. Then in terms of skill set, negotiations is an invaluable skill set. Many women in particular, since this is the Smart Money Tribe podcast, Mm. should change themselves in business negotiations. Mm. And remember, I always say, in fact, I said it to my team today, I say it to the women that I coach and I mentor, that, you know, people don't realize that you are negotiating from the minute you introduce yourself to somebody, even when you are not in a transaction, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It is how you are perceived, which is where this idea of your leadership brand, what some people refer to as personal brand, you know, the, I would say next le- the mega level of personal brand is leadership brand, okay? And that's kind of where we focus because most times, <laughs> at the leadership level, you're talking about, you know, wanting to influence industries and nations and, you know, bigger spheres of influence. You work, you end up having to work 30 years. when actually, guess what? You can work for 10 years if you understood how not to leave value on the table because you were not deliberate. You did not design your high value into your business vision from the beginning. So people think of negotiations at a very basic level, but there are high levels to it. So negotiations is a powerful tool that as a business um, person, as a smart money uh, woman, you've got to never stop understanding it, learning it. And I, 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 sorry.
1: This is such a big one because I feel like women, a lot of women are very fearful when it comes to negotiating. You know, we tend to, leave money on the table, like you said, because we don't necessarily all value all the time. Um, but what, yeah. skills? what, yeah. what, what practical skills do you think that, um, women need to develop so that they are stronger negotiators,
2: especially in an African environment? You see, when I start talking about identity, <laughs> <laughs> everything <laughs> rises and falls with your identity by identity, Remember your image of yourself. There's your image, there's the other external image and perception. So, ability to tell your story, your ability to advocate for yourself, your ability to understand what your worth and your value is and not to shy away from it. Confidence, in other words. Mm. Unfortunately, many women struggle with confidence issues. Imposter syndrome, we talk about it in the career world, but actually, imposter syndrome, what is it? It's an identity issue, it's a value issue, it's an esteem issue. It's and some of it is cultural, environmental, some of it is personal. Um, so confidence mastery, which is also in the middle of you know, life mastery and leadership mastery, is something that is the skill. It sounds like a simple thing, but I would say, let me tell you something. Give me 10 women and I can show you a million dollars that they've lost just in terms of their lack of confidence, how they ask, the level at which they ask, right? Yes. And who they ask.
1: I believe you. Right? Because uh-huh. I believe you, because I've I've been seeing a very or noticing a very interesting, you know, trend where i find that i see myself in, even i'll just use myself as an example actually mm-hmm. even if people are always saying to me oh my god i said your dreams are so big or your goals are so big and things like that on a day to day basis sometimes i i find myself in situations where let's say i'm pitching for something i'm mm-hmm. trying to you know, oversell my value. I'm trying to think about Mm -hmm. all the hundred things I will do to make $1, Mm -hmm. right? Then Mm -hmm. maybe I'm exposed to um, a proposal that a man has done for the same type of work. And it's like, what Mm -hmm. they're offering is way less than what I'm offering. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to do a hundred things for that $1. Meanwhile, the man is maybe doing five things for the $1 and with confidence, all the confidence in the world and you know for me i'm
3: thinking Absolutely.
1: i don't have a hundred percent of what it takes but i'm going to figure it out but i have to i, I i'm i have to convince them that you know i'll be able to do xyz but yeah and is you know offering like a minimal a minimal you know amount of value but will ask for a big
2: amount of money and I, it's a confidence gap yes you know we talk about the gender gap what i see is a confidence gap certainly at certain levels for a woman at your level for example with your exposure it's not a gender gap issue it's a confidence gap
3: yeah
2: right and that gap can be breached and that's where you know having power communities right where people are willing to expose themselves to ongoing um you know uh transformative learnings as it were Um, these skills can be developed right but it is there's there is a massive confidence gap it's why women tend to overcompensate you've just given that perfect example you offer 100 things you get the same ten dollars the guy offers five things gets ten dollars who is more profitable Mm -hmm. so you see already where you've left money on the table just by not having the confidence to recognize that you know what the core value that I have to offer here is this. And I don't need to pack on 10 other, 20 other additional bonuses and this and that just to demonstrate we overcompensate. It's the same reason why women tend to say, oh, you know, women have to work twice as hard. And I say, no, you don't need to work twice as hard already. By saying you have to work twice as hard, you've already negotiated yourself to at a lower level because do you know what twice as hard means? Mm-hmm. You do the math. Yeah. I'm not a good mathematician, but I already know you're giving more than what you're getting so you work twice as hard as the man that's what's showing up in you delivering 100 things and getting paid the same thing as the man who delivered 10 things and got paid the same as you it is a mindset shift that women need to make otherwise it's hurting them yeah. um women are living longer therefore they need to master their money mm-hmm. and mastering money, at the heart of it is the power of negotiations you know Understanding, you know, and mastering negotiation. Because here's the thing negotiation is not just in business, it's also negotiating your time. It's negotiating your value at home with your in laws, with your children, setting up boundaries so that you can be more impactful. I ask my team all the time what is the highest impact thing for me to do? Not what is your top priority, <laughs> imp- highest impact. If more women would ask that question, okay? they would stop, one, overcompensating. They would stop wasting time. They would stop taking low-value, low-impact, you know, activities. Um, There's a leadership framework that I teach where I help people see low-impact, high-impact, low-value, high-value. If you check a lot of women, it's the beginning of the year, check the top things you're doing towards your finances. You'll find that 80% of your activities are low-impact, low-value. And are they
1: even revenue generating? The things you do on a daily on a daily basis the most, are they? Absolutely. Are they revenue generating activities? You know, and how? Absolutely. Much, what percentage of your bottom line, you know, do can you tie those activities to? You are so so right. This episode is filled with so much gems already. Like I'm so excited. Auntie, <laughs> can, can we shift to some personal questions? personal finance questions to um, round up. What sure. is your, what, how would you describe your investment strategy? Like how do you decide what you want to invest in and how?
3: Mm.
2: So for me, investment strategy has to do with the first, first basic skill or first basic principle for success for me is knowledge. Mm. Is it something that I'm knowledgeable about? something I can gain the knowledge of and understand, right? Mm. Because you don't want to invest in something that you don't understand. You don't have the knowledge of. That's the fastest way to lose your pants. Mm. That's one. Two, for me, I'm a heart-centered leader and investor. Heart doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, You can't make money. Money is important to me because I understand the power of money. Mm. You know, I believe that one of the, you know, top measurements, you know, for high-impact leaders is actually your ability to create wealth. Okay? Um, And so, you know, but for me, I like to invest in things that I want, understand, and things that I value. So my best investments are in things that I can see how they enhance my 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 shall i say my enjoyment of life by life i mean the world generally so it's not purely a naira for naira outcome it's a can i invest one naira get 10 naira out of it and enjoy seeing what that is some people call it impact investment right Mm -hmm. others call it value value value-based investing but for me um, so for example, I can't sell what I don't really like or what I don't really believe in. Mm. I know that for some people consider that to be limiting, but you know, I'm happy that one of my personal values is freedom. And freedom basically means that I can choose. And I believe that most times the whole idea of wealth is to give you the ability to choose what you'd rather do. Mm. And so what I would rather do is to invest in things that, you know, uh, that are meaningful and are valuable. And if I was to be a bit practical about that, in terms of understanding, I understand real estate. I believe, I don't believe, I am a master at real estate investing. I've helped people, you know, create incredible value in the multiple millions of dollars um, in real estate and continue to do so. It's also one of the key areas through which I personally Um, you know, created my own personal, um, you know, wealth uh, portfolio, if I can say. The additional side um, is for me, uh, if I, I mean, of course, I don't like to talk about stocks because I don't have mastery in that area. Mm -hmm. I understand it. I recognize it as a strong, um, you know, financial pathway for Mm -hmm. those, you know, and especially for diversification also. You can't be an investor and not invest in in equities and all of that stuff. Um, But I like the idea of investing in companies that I respect Mm. their value. Okay. So if I was investing, you know, when I invest in stocks or if I were to invest in companies, I look at the leadership. I look at the ownership. I look at what they do. I look at their values. It matters to me.
1: Mm, I love it. So it's the same thing. You,
2: you ask to me ask. to come and sit on a board. I want to know what you believe in. I want to know how you view, you know, people. I want to know how you view your products. You just want to make money because I, I, I like to say you can have purpose, you can have profit, and you can also think in terms of posterity, in terms of what what are you leaving mm. in terms of an impact, right? That's important it, to me.
1: Going to be? I love it. So is it safe to say I was going to ask you what your most profitable investment has been? Um, but is it safe to say that it was in real estate? No. Okay. <laughs> please, please. <can you>
2: <laughs> <share>? My most <laughs> my most profitable investment has been in Konjo. I love it. Yep. I love it. You are your biggest. Asset. <laughs> yes. I am absolutely. I mean, it's it's an asset class. I call it, you know. When I teach um, uh, business, just in terms of, actually, this is wealth, part of wealth mastery, right? They're, you know, I like to say, in business there are three mega asset classes, right? Right. And one of them is your business itself as a brand is an asset class. Your business, you know, revenue model, which is what you do as a business, is an asset class. Now, you as the leader... You are also an asset class. but many entrepreneurs, many professionals only benefit from either their salaries as their income stream. They don't look at themselves and recognize that there is a money trail in themselves based on who they are, their expertise, their experience, and all of that. And how do you then convert that into currency? That's why I say I'm my biggest asset class, because this is an asset class that is that just keeps on giving the multiplying on an exponential level. And actually it's not just motivational talk. It has a financial assessment. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Auntie, what your business can make money. Your, your brand can be leveraged to expand value. That's why you see like the McDonald's, they can create licenses, franchises. That's the brand itself and the systems. Then, um, the business itself selling burgers is the, uh, money is another money stream. But if you as a business leader were to curate your, your knowledge, your experience, who you are and convert it into tradable, you know, um, uh, offerings, what mm-hmm. would that look like? And what sort of money streams could you create from that? Right. Um, mm-hmm. so that's what I mean. sorry these are gems these are gems
1: yeah these are very powerful gems auntie yes what has been your biggest um money mistake or failure
3: Hmm. that's
1: a big one and a good one (laughs) so much we learn so i feel like we learn way much more from failure than we do success
2: Right, I hear you. I think we should learn from both. <laughs> but, you know, I hear you. People say that a lot and it is true mm-hmm. uh, because for whatever reason, that's why newspapers sell the way they do because um, <laughs> people can connect more with the sort of vulnerable um, falls than, you know, the highs. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, my own mindset is such that you should learn from both highs and lows. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: I would say that one, hmm, the first one I would say is... I have this mindset of increase, 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 which means that I always feel that I can create new streams and additional revenues. That can be a danger,
3: Hmm.
2: especially in the wrong season. Do you see? Yes. So if you always feel... So I, I don't like the constraint of approaching wealth from a savings Um, uh, point of view only, which I know many people obviously know better now. Mm. Um, So I constantly look for ways to expand and I have the capacity to create value. So I'm always thinking of creating value. However, it's one thing to create value. It's another thing to capture it and to consolidate it.
3: Mm. So,
2: um, and if you think of the story for those who are spiritual, you know, the, the, the lesson that Joseph gave, their lean times and their times of increase or times, you know, of, of abundance. And so understand that there's certain seasons where creating value will not happen as fast. Okay. Mm. And as quickly. And so the value that you may be used to creating on an ongoing basis, there may be seasons where you can't. So that's been one of my personal lessons is what I'd like to call it that, you know, um, and in addition, there are times where you may physically not be able to create value. Therefore you should have a solid um passive you know um, stream yeah. that you don't have to actively be creating, okay, I learned that lesson a long time ago and so it's a lesson that I've I, I've cultivated um, you know and and put in. so that's definitely one. Um, the other is still sort of comes from the earlier story that I told you, which is investing in something that you have no control. And knowledge of. so for me control is a big part of and when I say control I mean that's why I love you know I guess real estate investment as my primary uh, source things that I can expand the value if you buy a piece of land you can expand the value if you buy a house that you can add on more floors or you can create more rooms so that you can create value that sort of thing right as opposed to the things that are capped so investing in that land in Aja was a big mistake Mm. Let me say something to you, I say. I invested people's monies, including my mom, that mm. I lost. This was, what, I don't know, 20 years or so a month ago. Um, and I had to pay them back, okay? Mm. I had people overseas and all of that stuff. So I invested in something that I wasn't in control of. I didn't know the end, the person who was doing the actual selling. I trusted somebody else. So that's why you can see one of my first principles is knowledgeable about whatever investment i'm making so that's been a big um and every time i've made the mistake of not doing enough due diligence or understanding learning what it is and aligning it with my personal strengths Ajar or certain parts of um or certain types of investment they don't excite me they don't really whatever somewhere it's not really organized clean this this that and the other i'm not really whatever so i wouldn't want to spend my time. So every time I've done investments where I'm not feeling it, I'm not paying attention to my intuition, my knowledge, my values, it's been a big fail. And see, this The is one so I gave this example is my biggest.
1: <laughs> Gina, this is so powerful because I want to go back to what I was saying about how we learn more from failure mm. than, um, than success. And I agree with you. We can learn from both. But I find mm-hmm. that there's a difference between you know how there's some people who like negative headlines, like so mm, yeah that people failed, at, right? So yeah. when, when I think about failure, I d- or learning from failure, I don't necessarily think about like all the negative news headlines or something bad happened. Yes, or this person's mm-hmm. business crashed. I'm more of a person from the perspective of when I lose or when I fail at something. Espe- yeah. No matter how painful it is, I always have to come back to a point mm-hmm. of, what did I do wrong? And what could I have mm-hmm. done better? And how do I mitigate these mistakes in the future? Mm-hmm. But we're all going to fail at something. Bad things yes. are going to happen. But I feel like the real lessons are in really... A being accountable to what was your part in it. B like how do I leverage this knowledge for to replicate success like in the future. Um, Yeah, you know I think it's very powerful what you said from that you know big failure in that one something bad happened where you probably felt less you you probably felt like you had let you know people down because you know people trusted Mm. you but these things happen in the course of you know doing business but you sat down and you thought, hey, you know what? My strengths I'm are not, you know, in Aja. So there are other people who will basically see like a growth market like that. And maybe they've yeah. you know, lived in the area, they have resources or um, yeah. know more people in the area and their own yeah. skills or resources are better leveraged in those areas. Absolutely. So Aja might be a bad um investment for you, but it might be a good one for someone else. And I think it's important with knowledge, us. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's important, it's important for us to recognize, you know, the fact that, okay, maybe my own strengths are not, you know, f- to be I know I can't leverage my strengths in this, you know, specific area or this specific industry. Maybe yeah. other people. Really being able to identify the fact that almost um, I don't like, (laughs) I love how, I love how you're like, listen, for me, wealth is about freedom. It's about choices. And I do think align, you know, with those values. It's a very, it's a very powerful, um,
2: realization. So, I would say, you know what, I know you were just going to wrap this, but Mm -hmm. there's something you said, I just want to reinforce when you talked about like the jazz story.
3: Mm -hmm. Here's
2: the thing. And it's, it's what's led me to the core of the things that I, I now teach and make sure as many, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, professionals gain the power of collaboration hmm. in your areas of weakness, you know, the strength you bring, you know, the gaps you have, you can bridge them through collaboration, right? Hmm. Um, so does not mean we don't do business in their jazz of the world or the more ways of the world? The answer is no. It doesn't mean we don't do business. It's just that I recognize that our company, me personally, as a leader, that's, I don't want, I, I don't speak Yoruba, for example. Um, even if I did, I don't want to sit in, in any palace early in the morning, you know, <laughs> doing any dobalen. Do you understand? There's some people who that's their natural habitat. Okay. So if I want to get involved in that sort of thing, I would get into a partnership.
3: Mm.
2: And my work would be to ensure that I'm in partnership with the person who that's their strength, okay? And so that's what we would do. So we would only offer property land in those types of areas that we have, that have gone through what we call it's sanitized, right? Mm. But it will never be my core place and because, you know, like, it's like we said earlier, I love, I love, um, you know, I'd love like to sip some, maybe not champagne, but uh, not <laughs> that there's anything wrong with champagne, but you know what I mean? I kind of know my personality, my strength, the things that come naturally and that are more in line with, um, yeah. you know, how I view life. And so a would be good for maybe some people, great returns. I would do a with in collaboration with the right uh, partners. Um, and there are certain types of transactions. I would never touch with a 10-foot pole, even in collaboration, right? If it doesn't meet certain criteria. So, yeah. So, some... The collaboration fire. is the point yeah. I was trying to make, that people should think in terms of, you know, finding who has what you don't have so that you don't leave value also that you could be capturing. Powerful. So, a mm. few rapid-fire questions to
1: end. What is your... What is was your first childhood memory of money?
2: Money does not grow on trees. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a family of fifteen children, I would say, (laughs) and um, that that already tells you. My dad was a civil servant. He was in the judiciary. He was a federal high court judge. We grew up in Kanu. You know, we lived nice grounds, all that, very simple, very modest. We didn't have like, you know, the end of the world, but we didn't, I don't recall that we lacked or anything. The one thing I know though is that we shared eggs, we shared, you know, sausages, like you didn't have one full sausage, you cut it in two. Okay. I and I remember thinking when I grow up, I will eat full sausages. <laughs> I, that's one i remember also that when he would buy clothes and shoes when he traveled he would just basically buy them and then you would have to kind of you know choose yeah. shoes and not it may not quite go around and because i had big feet it was it was more most times my family my, my siblings are going to kill me but most times <laughs> i didn't quite get my size right uh-huh. so i remember thinking if my dad had you know like a lot of money he would actually buy for each person, their size and multiple. So I have a shoe fetish now where if I see a pair of shoes I like, I buy all the colors, right? I love it. That was going to be my next question. What are your, what, when it comes to spending, what are your guilty pleasures? Oh, gosh. I used to, in fairness, now, I'll tell you what my previous and what my current is, right? I was saying, honestly, I'm going to hush this even though. <laughs> There was a time in my 30s and maybe early 40s, but it was more in my late 30s. Bags. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I can't believe the bags I bought. I remember one time in Dubai, I bought bags. I bought like six, eight bags, designer bags. I remember in South Africa, bags. I remember in London, bags. I used to buy bags. Hi. Do you know what sort of investment those bags would have been? Okay. People tell you bags. I have some now that, you know, it's like, oh, you're looking, you go and take it all 2nd secondhand play, rubbish, <laughs> right? If I put them in my property in those days, you see what I mean? Yeah. Bags. I, I I was mad, crazy, right? Now, listen, I buy bags from, you know, Adubea Johnson in Ghana, from, you know, Nigerian designers. I can buy some European ones, but all of them for me are bags, right? I have top designer international. I have local. It doesn't matter. It means nothing to me. Um, so that used to be my fetish. Blew a lot of money. Now when I look at some of them, I'm like, I can't even afford it. Like, how did I, how was I buying them? So please, if anyone is listening to this, don't waste. There are other things that can give you joy and fulfillment. <laughs> but I love <laughs> so I love balance though.
1: I think I feel like there's room for balance. Like we have to, find a place where there's a part of money of your income that you invest and there's a part of it that you
2: are allowed to splurge on as long as your income can support it I say please i hear you okay i agree with you i'm telling you you asked me for fetish you asked me for i'm telling you that i i would say regret it. it it was a problem please it was a problem because i'm also the why it was also a problem is that genuinely right? I, I don't know how to keep material things. Do you see? So some people keep their bags. Well, I don't.
3: Mm.
2: And you know, some people, my friends know they buy my bags off me, my sisters, my friend, younger and older and even reg- my pair friends, you see, cause I don't put the value on them. So it was a waste for me personally. Okay. So I'm not saying don't buy bags, please enjoy it. I love good things. I love good bags. I love whatever. I'm just saying I, I, I overdid it. Okay. And now I'm more measured about it. I have a combination and I recognize now that, you know, I value good things. I enjoy good things, but it's not for me a long-term. It doesn't give me long-term joy, Mm. you know, in that sense. Okay. So I'm now more measured in my approach to them. Right. So that's my old one. And I still, every now and then, you know, may fall for it. (laughs) What I currently have now is not as bad. (laughs)
3: <laughs> okay.
2: It's online shopping.
3: <laughs> have you, have, I guess what I do. I just, I shop where
1: you're hiding your purchases from your husband or your deliveries from uh, your-
2: no, no, not now. The only thing is that he only says to me, yes, you're always saying that ah, I've had this forever. So that's, that should give you a hint, <laughs> you know? So there was a time I used to have to come to the back door or leave the things in the car. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing, yes. And it's, and there's still occasions, you know, there's seasons, obviously the last pandemic, I, you know, I turned 50 a couple of years ago and I remember I went overboard. Yes. I bought shoes, I bought this, I bought that. And then pandemic happened right after my, my 50th, right? And guess what? All those shoes now I've done two years without heels. And I can't wow. wear a lot of them. So I'm going to have to do charity sale, right? Wow. A lot of those glam clothes, all those things. I'm not, I have no interest in them. So they go. Every year, I do a charity sale anyway. Um, in the past, I used to dash them to my friends. But now I realize my friends can afford it. So why am I yeah. dashing them?
3: This
2: is um, a Sorry? (laughs) This is another income stream. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't quite call it an income stream because I call it a charity sale because I always stay it for charity. But my point is, you know, sometimes we overdo things. We have way more than we need. Sometimes i bought things that I realized I actually had two or three more of those same things. So that means we're not really being mindful Um, bear in mind, you know, there's seasons and stages in life, you know, so perhaps a 30-year-old who's listening to me will say, ah, please, she's an old woman, she's done her own, me, I'll do my own, no problem. Just maybe do half of it and save how, so that, you know, you can retire a bit earlier and do the things that matter to you.
1: I totally, totally, totally agree. And you know, you have money conversations with your husband before you got married. And what advice would you give couples on, you know, managing the family's finances.
2: I say you're really milking this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: you know how hard it was to get on your schedule. I will milk.
3: You. I will milk. Okay, I'm the sure this is our schedule. last
1: question. No. So, <laughs> to
2: the last, to the last. Okay. All right. Did we have money conversations? I can't say specifically that we did. Yeah. Um I can't, I, I I have to be honest. I, I can't remember that we sat down and then discuss and we had that structured. No, um, I had money observations, not money conversations.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's what I would say. Then in terms of how would I advise couples? Did you say about yeah. money, handling uh-huh. money, marriage? Yes. I would advise, uh, first women specifically, uh, wherever you're from, whether you're African or whatever, but especially if you're African, Have an independent financial source. Mm. Have joint, you can have joint, and you should have, depending on your relationship. I have a, you know, uh, I believe that, you know, if two are one, then you must have unity around, you know, some aspect of your finances because you are doing things, some things together. But you are one full human being with your own independent interests and values, and style. And if you're going to be able to express your fullest potential in life, you don't want to be in a position where, you know, you're completely dependent on someone who may not share the same interests or values. And so, um, for me personally, that's very important, that you have an independent, you know, source, and you then also have joint um Uh, joint management or joint, you know, uh, areas, right? The children, the house, the this, all those type of big type things. But you personally, do your personal investment. uh, It may not work for everybody, but this is my own personal advice. Have your personal investments and have your corporate investments.
1: Mm, I love it. Final question. If you won the lottery and you won a million dollars, what would you splurge on
2: and what
3: would you
2: invest in? Mm. You know, every beginning of the year I actually answer that question. Okay. And it's not necessarily as a lottery, as in it can come from anywhere. Of course, over the years the amount has changed. It's sort of significantly more than a million dollars. But let's Ooh. use a million dollars. Let's let's say a million dollars, because a million dollars is still a lot of money as free money. So Today, if I had a million dollars, I would, um, first of all, put 10% aside as tight. Um, I'll put another 10% as just pure 10 or 20% as pure, like low, whatever savings type thing. Right. I would take 500,000 or maybe 400, and invest in something, it'll probably be some sort of real estate, right? So as a deposit, I'll buy a high rental type real estate somewhere. Um, and then about 200 or 300 that is left. You really want to know what I'll do for the splurging part? Sorry? I want to know. I <laughs> would take, hmm six girlfriends on a vacation, all paid, all expense. I've done something close, not close in the sense I was all paid, all expense, but that is, you know, that's like, I, I jokingly say that's my inner Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a car, you get a car. Aha, uh-huh, exactly, that sort of thing. So I would I would six people, it won't cost me, maybe it will cost me 100, 150, that sort of thing. I would maybe take 50 and blow it on. Like, you know, I'll shop some people, give people 5K, 10K, 1K, that sort of thing, right? I love to give. And the other ones, I would just, you know, go online or go into maybe Selfridges or somewhere. No, I won't go into Selfridges. I'll get a personal shopper. I'll give them like 100K to just, you know, buy me some new, like some new wardrobe, some new (laughs) items. That's what I would do. So nothing particularly exciting apart from the vacation part. <laughs> that vacation part. six days, or rather six ladies, six days, all expense. Um, you know somewhere uh, And when I say all expense, sorry. somewhere fabulous. Somewhere fabulous, exactly. And fabulous for me is not necessarily that it's like costing like maybe, you know, it could be in Seychelles, it could be in Greece. Actually, Greece is kind of on my mind right now. Greece or Bali. I you know. know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Greece or Bali is what I would do. I've done Seychelles with girls before. So yes, I would do that. Maybe pay for the whole villa, pay for all the expenses. Maybe they'll do their tickets. Because if I do tickets, first class tickets, my 100k will be gone. So... <laughs>
3: that's
2: what i
1: would do so much and (laughs) this has been such an insightful conversation and i feel like people are going to learn so much there's so much wisdom in this conversation thank you for blessing us with um your wisdom thank you for taking the time
2: to be on this podcast and you so- are welcome, Arisa. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, what, was, what did I say? <laughs> like, oh gosh, can I edit it I listen to it and tell you which parts to take out? But nah, it's okay.
1: <laughs> it was wonderful. I think people are going to respond to this in, in such a powerful way. So, so much.
0: You are welcome. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Smart Money Tribe podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm super excited about creating financial content for African millennial women who want to live a fabulous life, but also want to learn how to find the balance between spending on their lifestyle needs and building assets that could protect their financial futures.